uh, warm-up question. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the call of God. You know, we've been doing this sermon series on being called, but also being a caller. You know, putting the call of God out to the world because we're the agents of the Lord on earth. And part of our calling is to be a caller, right? And, and to, uh, to do the things of purpose that God uh, wants us to do. So here's an honest question. Do you really want a life calling? Do you want a life calling? Yeah. From God, I mean? Like, do you want him to tell you what to do? Or would you rather just kind of like figure out something cool? Do you want, do you want him to tell you what to do? Well, I'm gonna, think about this for eight seconds. Just think about it for eight seconds. It's an honest question, so give it some honest thought. Do you really want God to tell you what to do? Or would you rather just kind of, you know? Do you really want God to tell you what to do? Raise Okay, now for the honest people. Would you rather just figure out your own thing? Yeah, okay. A couple few uh, honest people. Um, as Sonia mentioned, uh, we had this great time hanging out at K2 uh, uh, the other night uh, and just celebrating what they've done over the last uh, t- 10 years in response to a calling. I mean, that was a pretty specific calling to have a community house and one of the privileges that we have now that we've gone on for a while at a church, I think Blue Water is about maybe 14 years old now, and K2 itself is about 10 years old. So you've seen like a generation of, of calling and purpose, you know, develop in that, in that community house. And we've always called it a community house, right? And I think the original calling was understood. You guys can correct me, those of you who have led the house for so long. The Initially, the general calling was something like, uh, well, you know, live together and pursue Jesus in community, in relationship with one another, right? Ish, more or less. And to do good things together as, as a house. Um, here's something I've learned over the years, uh, having lived in those houses myself uh, when I was younger and seeing our community houses developed. Uh, groups that try to be perfect community with one another Groups of people that try to live in perfect relationship with one another suck. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible thing to do. Um, I don't think K2 is really a community house in that sense. I think K2 is a hospitality house, which makes it sound like a cheap motel. <laughs> uh, and that's really all I want to say about that. No, <laughs> no. But I think it is such a higher calling, right, to be a hospitality. That, that word gets misused and abused and undervalued. Uh, you know, K2 is a house uh, of hospitality that always leaves the light on, which I think is the slogan for Motel 6. Is that what it is? Or Holiday Inn or something? You always leave the light on. But that's really what it is, you know, but, but what a holy light it is, you know, it's the light of Christ, it's the light of love, it's, I mean, K2 is the place that always says, oh yeah, we have a place for you. You know what a powerful Christian message that is on Oahu, right? You know what a powerful Christian message that would be on Maui right now, right? Oh yeah, we always have a place for you, because God is love, because God is generosity, because God is always enough. So it sounds deceptively simple, you know, Motel 60, you know, hospitality, but it's actually utterly otherworldly and revolutionary. And basically, they've just made a place for people. And through that hospitality, community has happened. 
I'm not sure that's the way that they thought it was going to work at the beginning, uh, but that's the way it's worked. If you guys want to say something else in the reception that you're having after second service, feel free, but that's what I'm going with now, and I'm preaching, so deal with it. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a house that's about love. It's not about perfect relationship. It's about love. Completely parenthetical statement. I think marriages often fall into that trap. Marriages often, our partners in a marriage often make it about having a perfect relationship. But what marriage really is, is about having love. Very different things. But that's another sermon. Um, so do you want uh, to hear from God what you uh, should do? Do you want him to tell you exactly what you should do? Uh, because it may need to develop over time. You might need to change over time. In the first week of this sermon series, we talked about how God's call on your life is firstly a call to decision. And we tend to not like decision-making very much. Uh, but you really need to make a decision for Christ if you want to follow God's call on your life. If you do not make the decision, if you're not all in, then you're going to have a lot of trouble. And then the second week, we talked about how God always calls us to build something important. That's pretty basic. And week number three, we talked about how, really how easy it is to hear God's call, to hear God's voice. All you have to do is listen simply, without complication. It's really easy to hear God. And the promise is, if you try to hear God's voice, you certainly will hear God's voice. And I stand on that promise. Uh, we've seen it a lot uh, around Blue Water, and we certainly see it a lot in Scripture. And then last week, Sony talked about how God's calling your life ultimately is a call to eternity, and that's very, very good news. And today, we're going to talk about not just hearing God's call, but responding to God's call, because it's the responding to God's call. That is to say, responding to his direction that really changes your life. And that's where the money is. That's where all the hardship is, and that's where all the fruit is. I was thinking this week about um, this young man uh, I knew back in the day who uh, experienced the difference between uh, hearing God's call and responding to God's direction. Uh, and it was a little bit dramatic, which is why I remember the story. Uh, this guy, uh, uh, this is when I was living in, in, in Boston about 20 years ago, and this guy was a really good-looking guy. Um, he was, you know, six feet tall, lean and buff and, and chiseled, but he hadn't always been good looking. He kind of grew up fat and doughy and teased by the other kids. And he had sort of struggled his way out of that, become a really good looking guy, was trying to break into modeling and like, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, and he also, uh, toward the end of that, came to Christ. Uh, and that's when I met him. And, uh, you know, when you come to Christ, you know, you, you're, you're letting go of things, you're picking up new things. It's a very transformative time for people. So one evening uh, uh, in, a, in a small group meeting, I was praying for him and just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and fill him and to empower him for uh, uh, what the Lord uh, was developing in his life. And as the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him, he just started shaking physically as I was praying for him. We were just standing together, and he just, started, he just like felt the physical presence of God, you know, which we see a fair bit around here, and started shaking. And then he started hurting and started feeling sick, like there was something in him that was trying to get out. Now, if you're uh, you know, a veteran of supernatural ministry, you know, ah, oh, well, you know, there might be an evil spirit involved there. This might be a deliverance ministry where you have to cast something out. You know, it happens. It happens. And, and when it happens, it's always really cool uh, because you can transform a person 
greatly really quickly. You know, so uh, I, you know, seen this many, many, many times. So I was like, hey, uh, looks like uh, we got to, um, you know, cast a critter off there, you know, and the Lord is really freeing you up, and this is great news. Uh, and he's I'd never experienced this before, but there was such a presence of God on him. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, you know, prayed for direction, and then I said, because I felt like I had some revelation from God, uh, in the name of Jesus, spirit of vanity, get off this kid. And he opened his eyes, and he said, no. Now, sometimes, sometimes, you know, in really creepy situations, like, like the demon kind of talks to you a little bit, like, or, you know, the human is under the influence, you know, but it's like, I realized that, no, I was talking directly to this kid, and I said, what do you mean, no? And he said, I've worked too hard to be good looking. I don't want to let this spirit go. And I said, you are freaking nuts. Like, you realize what's happening here right now. It's like, there are creepy evil spirits in the world. And you're like, help me, creepy evil spirit. That, that is not a deal you want to make. Uh, and so, you know, we processed a little bit. And I asked him point blank, are you willing to follow Jesus, even if it means that you don't get to be great looking? And it's just silence for a few seconds. And he said, no. No. And he walked away. Yeah. Well, I remember that story. It was, it's because it was so stark, right? It's so stark. But I think we do it all the time, right? Just in less dramatic ways. Like, that kid had sacrificed to be good-looking, right? And you might not think that's such a big deal. Um, you know, look to the left and the right, and you will see people that maybe don't think it's such a big deal. Go ahead. The way they dress, you know, the way they, they comb their hair, or not, you know. Like, some of us are not so into uh, our outward appearance. I know, I know. Praise God. Praise God. We're, we're free and righteous, yeah. Um, but he had, he had spent his childhood in pain, right? Because he was the awkward, fat kid that everybody made fun of his whole life. And then he found the internal strength to overcome. And that was important to him. That was an important freedom in his life. And, you know, there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of triumph involved here. You get the idea, right? So I sympathize, but I'm just telling that story because it often comes down to that in life. Right? There's a difference between hearing Jesus, following Jesus, and then responding to Jesus' direction in life. And sometimes we hit that wall, don't we? And if we want to be people of God's call and people who put out the call, then we just need to be clear how this works. Because I think most people don't reject God because they disbelieve in God. Most people reject God because they don't want to do what he says. Right? because they don't want to respond uh, to him. So we are going to read today a great story that you all know. It's the story of Jonah. Jonah. What do you know about Jonah? <laughs> the whale. The whale. Yeah, it's called a great fish, technically. We don't know if it was a mammal. It might have been a fish. Come on, people. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the position I'm in is that we all kind of know the story. Uh, but I want to read it today. It's only four chapters, the book, and I'm going to excerpt it, of course. I want to read it today and have us think about uh, God's calling 
and how we hear it and respond to it well or not so well. So I'm just going to blast through the whole book of Jonah really quickly, and most of you know the story. Jonah was called by God. He didn't like the call that he heard. He ran from God. God swallowed him with the fish, spit him out on the beach, gave him another chance, uh, and uh, that's how the story goes. Are you ready for Jonah? I need some coffee. We sang for approximately, I don't know, what was it, 90 minutes at K2 the other night. So I noticed that your voice was cracking, uh, Jameson, when you were singing. Like, we all got really tired. (laughs) Vocally, we're exhausted. All right, here we go. The book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, a coastal city. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And we'll take the story from there. If you don't know the background of Jonah and Nineveh, So Nineveh was the superpower of the age, and it was an extraordinarily violent and wicked superpower. I mean, their armies were absolutely brutal. They would torture people for sport as a public spectacle and stuff like that. And Nineveh had sort of devastated Israel on more than one occasion. They were Israel's arch enemies. They were the big bully in the area, and Israel was the ugly little fat kid in the area that constantly got beat up, that constantly got humiliated by Nineveh in unspeakably cruel ways. And God calls Jonah and says, go, go preach in Nineveh. Okay, so that in and of itself is not a welcome invitation. Go preach against it. We find out here in a little bit that Jonah had suspicions. Uh, Jonah was called to preach against Nineveh, to call Nineveh to repentance, and he was afraid it might work because he didn't want Nineveh to be right with God. He wanted God just to send fireballs on Nineveh, right? And we have to sympathize with Jonah in this instance because he had a case. If you had seen, you know, a generation of your people systematically brutalized and raped, you would probably, you know, have a case. So, and so he's like, I'm not into this at all. Anyway, so uh, Jonah gets on the ship. A great storm comes up. The sailors figure out that Jonah is the cause of the storm because God doesn't want him to get to uh, Tarshish. And so they throw Jonah overboard. Uh, that's the story, as you, as you probably know. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. When he's in the fish... He, he says this great prayer. We have it recorded in, in uh, Jonah chapter 2. He realizes uh, that um, uh, in the depths of despair, he realizes that God is his only hope, that it doesn't make any sense to flee from God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. That's what happens when life ebbs away. Then we stop being angry at God and we start remembering uh, that God loves us and he's good. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And basically, 
uh, Jonah repents, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Uh, God is repetitive. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Do what I say, dude. Trust me. Do what I say. It's going to go a lot better for you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord this time and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Some translations will say it takes three days to walk across Nineveh. It was that big. On the first day, Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. That's a shocker. Uh, but prophets have a lot of authority when they preach. You know, the problem is that we don't put out the call. When we put out the call, even Ninevites repent, it turns out. It turns out. The Ninevites believed God, and they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Uh, they humbled themselves, skipping down to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. So it looks like Nineveh is going to escape the fireballs. They've repented. Jonah, in spite of his misgivings, has brought revival to the most wicked city on the planet. Good news? Good news? And if it had just ended there, it would have been a, a, a nice story. But instead of a nice story, it's a meaningful story. I'm going to pick it up uh, in chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased. Why? Because he wanted them all dead. You know? He was greatly displeased and became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You stink. <laughs> now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, this guy's like the worst tweener ever. <laughs> I just want to die. I hate you. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's like, I hope they screw this up. I hope it was false repentance. And I'm going to watch the fireballs come down. And I'm going to be uh, the first guy to pump his fist in victory when that happens. So he's waiting. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his comfort. Very hot place, of course. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Well, that's nice. Uh, he's like, finally, God is with me. Finally, God is giving me a break. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. One of those... You know, and, and when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, I sense a theme, and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Because you just mistreat me all the time, God. You just mistreat. You don't, you don't even care about me. You don't care about my people. 
You bless the bad guys, not the good guys, and you won't even give me comfort when I obey you. I sympathize with him. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. (laughs) I love this guy so much. I love him. I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. Yeah, and I get it. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine. Well, you didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. It was just a thing. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Uh, Other translations will say, should you not be concerned about all these cities and the animals in addition? Should I not be concerned about that great city, God says. And that's how it ends. That's how the book ends, which is kind of a very modern construction. It sort of ends on a question. You know, should you be concerned about these reprobates? Should you be concerned about the animals? You're all concerned about a vine. You know, it's like life is life, Jonah. Life is life. Um, Just a great story. I mean, there are many themes in the story. I think it's popular to preach on the juxtaposition, the contrast between Nineveh's ability to change and Jonah's inability to change, right? Even though Jonah is the prophet of God. And that's a great sermon uh, that, you know, I I won't give. Uh, Because for us, you know, we're in this sermon series on calling, uh, uh, call and response. This is really a story about call and response and and finding grace to, to do what God tells you to do. You know, Nineveh found grace, and Jonah struggled to find grace. Sometimes when we have expectations of God, it's harder to do what he says. You know, uh, I say that it's actually fairly easy to hear your call from God. It's actually fairly easy for all of us to hear the call of God if we just listen simply. And Jonah heard very, very clearly, right? There's no indication that he misheard or thought he misheard. He's like, yeah, go preach to Nineveh. Oh, I know God wants me to preach to Nineveh. Great time for a vacation to Tarshish. You know. And he took off. Um, hearing God was not the problem. Um, he just didn't like what he heard. He didn't like where his faith was leading him. Right? So he distracted himself in a big way. Responding to what God tells you is always the bigger challenge in life. Responding is always the bigger problem for us all. Responding to God is the thing for you. It's not hearing God. We pretend like that's the, oh, if only God would tell me what to do. Give me 10 minutes with you. All right, we'll have something for you to do. Responding to that thing. Walking it out over 10 years is what we're celebrating at K2. We're walking it out for a lifetime. That is always, always, always the crux of the matter. Uh, It turns out, and this is just a a word to the wise, that not responding to what God tells you to do is often worse than doing the thing you don't want to do. Right? Because Jonah took off. He ran, um, and uh, he ended up uh, in a fish's belly. And uh, there are uh, lots of ways in which we end up in worse positions 
because we weren't willing to do the unpleasant thing God calls us to do. And of course, there are lots of analogies to this in life, you know. It's like it's really hard to get up in the morning and go jogging or, you know, really hard to you know, go to the gym or something like that. But we know if you don't do that unpleasant thing that over 15 years, what's going to happen to your body, right? It's just, it's not going to serve you like it used to, right? There's going to be all sorts of trouble. And then suddenly your life is going to be about coping with bad health, right? And if you had just done the unpleasant thing uh, initially, um, you would have so much more capacity uh, in your life, right? Uh, and uh, I just share that one because it's, it's one that we all experience in one way or another. I mean, uh, none of us are Olympic athletes in here or anything like that, but, you know, it's a struggle, isn't it? You know, do what's good for you. And the call of God is good for you, even if it feels a little bit uh, unpleasant. This is a story about that. Uh, in, in, in some respect. At Blue Water, we try to be very serious about not just identifying God's call on your lives, but responding to it. And that's why we have all these sayings like, faith means trying. Are you trying to do the thing that God called you to do? Don't care if you succeed or fail, at least not at the beginning. We care if you try, because all the faith is in the trying. Discipleship is follow-through, we say all the time. Like, are you following through on the things that you've been instructed to do or not? Um, if you are not responsive to what God is nudging you to do, then Blue Water will be a very difficult place for you to stay long-term. Uh, and I have lots and lots of stories about that. They tend to be personal and heartbreaking, so I don't share them. Um, but it is, it's hard to hang out with God it's hard to hang out with God's ministers if you're running away from his ministry calling on your life. Um, that's the message there. I would say that when God speaks to you, and this is a place where God speaks, the, the Lord is certainly going to be speaking at our all-church retreat. When God speaks to you, you will respond one way or another. Right? You'll either push forward toward Nineveh or you will run away toward Tarshish, whatever that means for you. Right? Because the closer you get to God, the closer you get to his voice, the more provocative that relationship becomes for you. Right? It's much, much easier to sit out on the periphery in the cheap seats and just never listen. That's great. If you manage to pull that off, good job. Um, but your life will be very boring. Um, and you won't have the heavenly treasure in heaven that you would otherwise. Um, but... God will call you to do something, and then you'll have a choice to make. Uh, and his call uh, will be powerful. It may be attractive, but there will be some unpleasantness involved. God's call always changes you uh, a little bit. When it comes right down to it, like I said earlier, most people don't reject God through disbelief. They reject God due to an unwillingness to change. Yeah? Most people do not reject God due to disbelief. They reject God due to an unwillingness to change. That's why Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. You know, like, change your thinking. That's what repentance means, and believe the good news. Like, you're going to have to change if you're going to walk in the kingdom a little bit. Hearing God is easy. Listening to God is challenging. Listening to God is challenging. And people of the call need to understand that. Got me so far? Give me a clap. 
just one. Uh, and I totally, totally, totally sympathize with that challenge. I totally sympathize uh, with the challenge. Like when, when you're walking out your calling and you realize this is not very pleasant. This is not very, I don't want to do this level of forgiveness. I don't want to do this level of hospitality for Pete's sake. You know, I don't want to do this level of generosity. I don't want to do this level of humiliation. I don't want to do this sacrificial love. I want the love that feels good, right? I, I, want, to, I want to be loved and safe and assured. You know, we, and there are a thousand versions of that, and I sympathize with all of them because I've tried to walk out my calling uh, for some decades now, and it's not what I would have designed. Um, you know, let's not be holier than thou about this. Jonah had great reason to despise Nineveh. Great reason to reject the Ninevites. God had great reason to judge them. They were a clan of murderers, right? We talk about oppression in the world today. There is no Nineveh today, right? I mean, they defined oppression. So Jonah was kind of right. But I have a message of hope. At least I think it's a message of hope. Like you have to think about it when I say it. But, but here it is. You don't have to like it. It will be good anyway. What God calls you to do. You don't have to like it. It will be good anyway. This is why I think this is a message of hope. Like Your heart doesn't totally need to be into it. Right? For it to work out wonderfully well. Is that good news? Yeah. That's great news for me. Because I've got like the crankiest heart in the game. You know? Uh, my, don't laugh. You blaming Mike? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a moody, foul individual. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the time I feel... Um, uh, a bit shorted, you know, like, ah, oh, you know, I, what I really need is some rest and some rejuvenation. Like, you know, I, I could do that all day, every day if I wanted to, because I'm just a pessimistic, depressive sort of dude. But what I've realized is that nevertheless, if I obey and follow through, good things will happen. True. Nevertheless. And I love the book of Jonah for that reason, because was Jonah a hero? Was Jonah a hero? Exactly. I mean, it's a little hard to tell. He was a major grump, but you could totally justify his grumpiness. You know, it took God uh, a couple whacks to get through to him. It involved like a really great big fish and as a storm at sea and lot, you know, lots of correction. But in the end, he made the choice, right? Uh, beginning of chapter 3, it said, And the word of the Lord came again to Jonah. All right, you're going to do it this time? Get to Nineveh. And Jonah was like, okay, great. And he went there, walking through the city, preaching them, if you don't repent, in 40 days, destruction will come upon you. I imagine, you know, under his breath he was saying, and I hope you don't repent. I imagine he is pretty foul-mooded when he walked through and saw all the Ninevites. They saw some Jew who stunk of a fish's belly and, 
and they probably treated him with contempt until suddenly they felt the power. Suddenly they felt the power of God that surrounded this guy. And they were like, dang, we're going we're gonna to listen. You know, and, and it worked. And it should not have worked because Jonah was not being all that righteous. He was simply being obedient. I love that. You don't have to be super righteous. You don't have to be, you just have to be obedient. Turn to somebody and say, yeah, you don't have to be righteous. How about that for a church service? How about that for a church service? You don't have to be righteous. You just have to do righteously. You don't have to be righteous. You just have to do righteously. I love that so much. Isn't that good news? That's good news. That's good news. Yeah, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's like, yes, I want you to call me. I don't want to do that call. I'll do it anyway. And revival gets unleashed in the world. The most wicked city ever comes to God. That's something I feel like Blue Water Mission could pull off. You know, I look out and I think, we might not be the most righteous prophets ever. Evidently, that's not a problem. <laughs> Evidently, all we have to do is put out the call. And revival happens. Yeah. So, Father God, we put ourselves at your disposal. Don't need to stick us in the fish's belly. You don't need to give us any more storms. We have heard. We have heard. Or maybe we are hearing in this moment... Uh, maybe we will hear at the upcoming all-church retreat. We are not going to be perfect as we respond, but dang it, Almighty Father, we're going to follow through somehow. We're going to help each other. Naturally, I feel today there might be some people uh, who are in that stuck position, that fishy position. You're kind of running away from God. Better put, you're kind of distancing yourself from God right now. You're distancing yourself from God. Not because you disbelieve there is a God, but because... You don't like what you think he's going to make you do. There's something you'd rather not give up. There's something you'd rather not try. Something that feels just a little too humiliating or a little too devastating. You don't have to like it. It will be good anyway. And you will grow, and you will change, and you will go from glory to glory, and your life will be purposeful and worth living, and we'll all help each other pull it off. This is a great day for you to repent and just say, okay, point me to Nineveh. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Amen. Uh, any of the prophetic elders have words they want to share over the of the crew. We have a, a, a painting. Uh, so what happens here is that uh, 
The painters just paint uh, as the spirit leads during the service. Uh, they try to paint under inspiration, not necessarily knowing what they're going to paint when they pick up the brush. And, uh, and sometimes they feel like it has a prophetic message to it. There you go. Thank you, sir. Um, so I finished the second service last week, but you guys might have seen me working on it for a few weeks. Um, the title is Return to Love. I do believe this is for a particular person, although it goes like exactly perfectly with your message and some of the imagery related to what Sonia talked about last week, too. So um, blessings for discernment of God's word in your life and for the discipline and faith to obey and follow through in this image. It's showing kind of the ridiculousness of a creation denying the creator of everything and the discord and loneliness that results. So you can see that figure on the right, separate from everyone. Um, it's directly related to Isaiah 45.9. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but pots herds among pots herds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? And I, I just think your message today like, is exactly kind of the same thing. It's like uh, probably a bunch of us are struggling with something you know that God's been tugging at your heart with. But if you feel particularly like this is for you and you have something specific, I'm happy to pray for you and gift you a painting to kind of remind you to follow through. All right, go get some prayer from Erica. You might walk home with a painting.